Hi, friends. Welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline, where twice a week we'll bring you conversations designed to help you make better decisions and find more joy while selling. I'm Amy Rahovchek, and I'll be your guide. Let's go. I'm going to switch gears on this. Like, what's the most uncomfortable conversation that you're having right now or conversation type? Like, what's the hardest one for you right now in a revenue context, in a revenue context? Maybe one that you need to have that you haven't had yet, even thinking about. Tell us all the things. I mean, you've always got internal conversations and people to be a lot more interested in the party that they're speaking with and not talk about themselves. Like, I think that the thing that probably the people on my team hate hearing is nobody cares about us or our product. Everybody cares about themselves and their problems. And I think that's something which is really difficult for people that work in sales to comprehend, especially because sales draws people that like to talk, right? All of us like to talk, everybody that works in sales. And we have this notion that the best sellers are the most charismatic ones. And I actually think that the best sellers are the most empathetic ones, are the ones which are able to listen best, are the ones that are able to understand other people's problems and to try and solve them. So those conversations, always having to come back to people on your team and say to them, hey, this was way too much about us. This is way too much about you pitching. You're not listening. You're not listening to what people are telling you is always a challenging conversation to have. And I think that with prospects, with people on the other side, I think it's helping them buy into to the future and helping them buy into the fact that the future can be much easier than it is today and helping them believe that things can be done differently. And I think that when you're trying to get people to work in a different way than they're used to, that's incredibly challenging. Incredibly challenging to get people to to adopt a completely new way of thinking about contracts. And that's hard. And attaching value to that is also very hard if you ask about like uncomfortable conversations. It's hard to explain to someone what is, I think about technologies which have changed sales, right? Think about Gong. Gong to me is like my favorite example. I talk about them, whoever's willing to listen. I think that five, six years ago, when I went out to buy Gong, the CEO of my previous company told me like, listen, man, why don't you just record the Zoom calls and listen to them afterwards, right? There's no need for technology to do this. Nobody is saying that today. And I think the contract book and contract technology generally is in that phase where it's still a little bit of a nice to have, but people don't understand the potential. People don't understand this idea of like, if you can make a contract into data and you never worry about finding renewal dates, you never worry about identifying the contracts which have different SLAs, you never worry about tracking down versions and red lines and all of that. Getting people to buy into that is not trivial. Yeah. Yes. Wow. There's like 20 different directions I can take this in right now. And I'm actually having a hard time choosing. So the first and just most obvious one that I can't skip over, what a great flipping answer to this question is talking to your team about how it's more important to be interested in the person that you're speaking with. And I mean, I could, you can take that both ways. That could be with buyers and with customers, but it's also with internally, right? Talking to somebody on the product team or on customer success and like really listening to what they're saying and trying to understand, gosh, wow, on the off chance you haven't heard it yet today, your team is fortunate. They're lucky to have you. They're lucky to have you. Wow. Okay. So how are you teaching this from a sales enablement perspective? How are you hiring? What kind of like core competencies or, or what's the criteria that ideal employee personas, IEPs or whatever? Like what? Are, how are you building a team around these values of connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity? And then I want to go back to what you said about how to blink it to value. I think, by the way, I have a hypothesis here. I think it's win rate. I think it's win rate. 
right? And assuming that we agree that value equals progress for the buyer. Yes. And that buyers want to be making better, faster decisions when it comes to purchase decisions. But anyway, so let's go back to like, how are you creating a team around this philosophy? I ask about it a lot in interviews. I think that people are genuinely surprised by the way that I interview. So to give you the background, in the Israeli army, I was actually in personnel and I was in staffing. So I decided where people go. Oh yeah, listeners, we're talking to an army officer here. I completely forgot to mention that. Please continue. <laughs> and over the course of four years, I interviewed over 10,000 people. Wow. Wow. And I think that it taught me two things. I think one of them, it gave me, I think, just by sheer repetition, it gave me a quick way of reading people. But secondly, I have absolutely no belief in structured HR processing. <laughs> I don't believe in four cards. I'm like, this is counterintuitive and I might get, like, okay. I don't believe in any of it. I have conversations about who people are as human beings. Like I always ask them, like, who are you that I can't read on your CV? Tell me what are the most important things to you? Like, what do you think makes a great salesperson? And then for me, I always say that there are two things that I'm looking for in people, curiosity and independence. Like those are the two traits that I'm looking for in people. And I think that the best salespeople also possess empathy. So when I talk about that a lot, and the second thing that I talk about to my team is about this idea of, can I swear on the podcast? Yes, you may. Nobody gives a fuck about us or our product. I said it before, but like, I think that's the most important lesson that I was taught. I can't even remember exactly who taught me, but I was part of, I'm part of a wonderful community, which is now called Pavilion. Back in the day, it was called Revenue Collective. And I used to go to these dinners where I was like the youngest guy at the table, didn't know what I was talking about. And every time I had an issue, I would reach out to this community. And these people, they kept telling me, nobody cares about you or your product. You have to remember that. And it changed the way that I sold because I used to show up. I had like a 45 deck, a 45 slide deck back in my company. And we would show them this amazing predictive modeling and this and the other. And then I realized that nobody cares. Like they'll not through the presentation. But at the end of the day, like you think about you. If I came to you, Amy, and I said, hey, I've got a really great solution for helping people remember how to say your last name. <laughs> and that's, okay. that's what the solution is, right? Like if you yeah. can establish the problem, if you can establish what it is that you're going to be doing to help, then I think you're really making a lot of progress. And I think that it's also difficult to practice what you preach. I like to talk, right? And I'm not always the best at listening as much as I would like. And I'm trying to get better at that all the time. But I think that it's crucial really listening, really being empathetic, pausing. Like those are the kind of things that we talk about a lot as a team. My catchphrase, and I think that anybody that's worked with me, nobody gives a fuck about us or our product. Everybody cares about themselves and their problems. And if you keep that in mind in every email that you write, in every conversation that you have an unfair advantage, because I truly believe that makes the biggest difference. It's so true. And it starts young too. It's very, it's like really tied to the human experience just to think this way. I have two nieces, three now actually, but two in middle school. And one of them was having a day and like all the things that you would envision like a 12 year old girl. And this was something that I was able to remind her of is that, listen, like you're spending a lot of time thinking about like what other people are thinking about you. And let me give you some advice. Let me me give you a pointer. 99% of the people that are there are thinking about themselves in that moment. Like they could not be further from you 
And so all this energy that you're putting into it is wasted. It's wasted energy. It can be much better invested elsewhere. But you're I'm right. Two things, yeah. right? Yeah. Two, two really, one, yeah. Don Draper in Mad Men, there's a yeah. whole I don't think about you at all thing. And I yeah. think I always think about that. Like, okay. the thing where we think people, I always, my wife, talk, my wife and I talk about the fact that like, when I forget to call someone back, it's because I forgot when they don't call me back because they hate me, right? Yeah. Like remembering that most people don't really care about you, not thinking about you. And the other thing is like, there's that, the Dale Carnegie book or how to win friends and influence people and it's all about like ask people questions people want to talk about themselves and I think that that's it there's no secret to it like that's literally it have you read Andy Paul's new book yet? Sell without selling out, dude. No. You've got it. You got to pick this up. You would love it. And it, 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 I chuckled on one of the lines that you said in one of the. I think it was the. I forget which video that you did, but about how you're not married to any methodology, and it was more like a guiding philosophy. So the book is the same, and it breaks down again the four pillars of selling in. The opposite of which is selling out, being too salesy. My favorite line is like persuasion is a blunt force instrument of last resort, right? And differentiates between that and influence. But anyway. Each of the pillars build off of one another. So again, connection, curiosity, understanding, and then generosity. And like, for example, good luck getting, being able to actually apply your curiosity with someone if you haven't formed a strong enough connection where they're going to give you the answers, right? And so it's they build on one another and it's... I don't know. I feel very much though that we as a profession are overestimating our ability to connect. I, I think you're right. I think that, that's really interesting. I'll definitely read it. I think that uh, it's hard to connect. I think that, that there's also a little bit of serendipity in it. I think sometimes we think we control so much and sometimes you just don't have good chemistry with people. And I think that it's also important as a seller, like in longer sales cycles, to also be able to be like, hey, I'm not the right fit for this. And like, right. maybe my friend is going to do better here. And like being okay with that. Yeah. I think that being okay with the fact that you're not going to connect with everybody, you're not going to win every deal that you come into that doesn't make you not a great seller. That's really important. And I think that generosity is also, I think about generosity also in terms of like playing the long game versus playing the short right. game. Right. And I think that I really encourage people to take a long-term view. I mean, even if this is a one-off deal, you never know when you're going to meet these people again. And I think that when somebody feels taken advantage of because you had more power in that dynamic, they don't want to do business with you again. They're going to tell you, like, if you ever meet someone that they know that's going to play against you. And I think that generosity is, I think, one of the most beautiful human traits that exist and one that I try to emulate where possible. It's funny, but how often do you see that word, though, in like a sales book too, which makes the concept like really... Interesting. And and have you ever read Adam Grant's Give and Take, where he no. breaks down the, oh my gosh, there's another one on where essentially there's three types of people, givers, takers, matchers, right? Most people are matchers. And so when you step into a culture that it feels very, it's like, it's literally bad seeds, right? That cause people to match. Same thing with giving, but giving can go poorly too. You can give too much and then so not have anything left for what's important for you. And so and then there's an opposite. So there's a giving wisely or choosing when to be generous. And so the actionable part of that pillar in the book is around developing a generosity plan. And it is, you know, if I'm telling you, it, I've never read anything like it. Something tells me you would love this book. You got to check it out. You got to check it out. Okay, friends. So this was awesome. We're at normal. We're at time here. What, let's do this. One piece of advice for our listeners about uncomfortable conversations. Do them as quickly as possible because it all festers. And I think we all know this from relationships and with like everything, 
uncomfortable conversations are best had as quickly as possible. Yeah. And I think that I read something on Twitter, which is usually not the best place to get good life advice, but I think <laughs> I read the tweet that said, we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge mm-hmm. others by their actions. And I think about that all the time. Every time we're like, oh my God, why did that person do that? And then I go, why did that person do that? And I think that it's it's very helpful. And I think that when you go into uncomfortable conversations, always assume good intent. Assume positive intent. There it is. That's awesome. All right. I can't top that. How can people find you, sir? Uh, I think I've heard of that. I think I've heard of that. That'll be yeah. <laughs> that'll be linked in the show notes. Now, LinkedIn is perfect. And I watched one of the videos that you posted about Contract Books' new brand. I don't know, but it was really interesting. But and so I'm going to, I'll put that in. I'll put put that in the show notes too. Um, Listeners, thank you for hanging around for the remainder of the conversation. You rock friends. Have a beautiful day. Thank you, Yav. Thanks, Amy. Bye. All right, all. That wraps another installment of Revenue Real Hotline. Today's episode was produced by the fabulous Nian Fiedler. Naturally, I'd like to thank my guests for sharing their brilliance and stories with us. And thank you too, listener. I know you've got a ton of options and I appreciate you choosing us. For anyone who wants to support the show, do follow us wherever you listen and be sure to join us next time for more conversations designed to help you make better decisions and find more joy while selling. I'm Amy Rahovchik and that's a wrap.